0: Welcome to Jackie Always Unplugged. Today I'm talking with Cami Brubaker, adjunct professor at Bethel College in Indiana, and the reason I wanted to talk to her is because both of us have had the privilege of equipping women for ministry, and both of us have observed how women in ministry struggle to find their voice. And yes, today's podcast, we're focusing on women in ministry, but this podcast is actually for everybody because at its essence, it's about understanding why we're holding back. And how we can learn to live into the voice God has given us. Welcome to the Jackie Always Unplugged podcast, where we're having off the record conversations. I'm Reverend Dr. Jackie Reese, founder and president of the Marcello Project. As a pastor, preacher, and thought leader, I've walked with women of faith for decades and had thousands of conversations about what women encounter solely because they are women. At work, family, their faith, with relationships, sex, the church, their bodies, and Jesus. On this podcast, we're going to be asking hard questions dealing with real issues and revisiting scripture with a new lens These conversations are gonna put words to your female experience. They're gonna ennoble you as Jesus intended and encourage you to bring your full self to the table. It's here we're gonna reshape our view. Well, welcome back. So glad you've chosen to join us today as we talk to Cammie. As I mentioned, uh, Cammie's a professor at Bethel. She's also an alumni. Not only did she get her undergrad there, but she received two master's degrees there. And then she went on to get her master's in theology from the Lutheran School of Theology in Chicago. And she's actually in her doctoral program. She's in a doctoral candidate. She's a doctoral candidate for the PhD in biblical studies, focusing on Old Testament and Hebrew. And that's what she's teaching at Bethel, Old Testament and Hebrew. And I also probably should mention, she's a mom of four kids. And as you'll hear... She's married to a really good man, a man who knows how to ennoble really well. So I want to welcome Cammie. Finally, we get to spend some time together chatting about something that both of us care deeply about, and that's helping women find our voices. So welcome, Cammie, to this podcast. Thank you. I um, I met you a couple years ago and was instantly intrigued because your story is a little <laughs> bit unique in that. Um, you live this dichotomy, you, you know, as a, as a Christian woman, you have a ton of children, which I'll let you share with our audience. Yeah. Um, okay. And so you're this all out mom who wants even a bigger brew than you already have. And then you're also a professor at this conservative evangelical Bible college, and you're mm-hmm. in the middle of working on your PhD. So share with us a little bit about how that has worked for you as a woman who loves mothering and has a big family, but also works in this conservative evangelical. And both of those sides of your life, there's these ideals the church has for how that's supposed to work for you.
1: Yeah. I, there is a lot of unspoken pressure, I think, for women in evangelical Christian settings. Um, you know, I think because of my personality, however, for a long time, I really, I really was oblivious to it. I, You know, I was doing what I felt like was right and what was good for me and what I was called to do. And I knew that there were people who thought that a woman shouldn't be teaching a Bible and that a woman should be at home and she shouldn't be working. You know, she should give her full attention to her kids. But like those opinions just didn't really faze me, I guess. Um, I don't know if you know much about the Enneagram, but I identify most with the Enneagram type eight, which is the challenger. So it just always felt really natural for me to sort of push the envelope with both my life and um, my voice. But I will say, after I had children, I really began to be more sensitive to what the Christian community like expected of me as a wife and a mother, and all of a sudden, people had so many opinions about my life mm-hmm. and my work. Um, and there have been some difficult moments in that regard, um, although I would say my experience maybe hasn't been as as negative as some other women have experienced um and I, I would say I think one of the reasons for that is I have an amazing support system. My family and my friends are so supportive and so great and I feel like they rally around me and my family in a lot of ways so I feel like there's this balance of like feeling the pressure from a lot of different sides but not always I I don't know I I feel like I'm also not very emotional (laughs) it's really good for me just to ignore things just like to press on so um, I sort of I sort of balance that too Um, but I so there's this one thing I feel like people sometimes look at me and they are like, okay, you have four kids, you have, you're getting your PhD, you're working, you know, you're carrying a full professor load as an adjunct status. And like, you're, you know, you're doing all these things, like you're superhuman. And what I want to say to them is like, okay, come to my house, (laughs) look at my piles of laundry. You know, it's, you can't, you can't really do it all. You know, people say, well, you do it all. And and the, the response is, no, I don't actually do it all. There's a lot of things that I don't do you know, um, or things that I have to have help doing, you know, there was a season in my life where my grandmother would come to my house, um, once a week and she would literally fold all my laundry. And uh. it was like a thing she asked me, she said, "Cammy, like, how can I help you? Like, is there a way in the house I could help you? She's like, if you want to wash all your laundry on Wednesday or on Thursdays, and then on Thursdays, I'll come, I'll fold it all. I'll put it all away. And it was such a gift to me, you know, just like that simple thing. So I feel like I've had a lot of support, but, but one thing, One thing I want to say is I feel like I do do a lot and I have a lot of energy, but I'm really passionate that I don't want people to see me as an exception. I don't want them to look at me and say like, oh my gosh, look, she's doing so much like that. could I could never do that because I think that's just not true. I want my students. I want the women who are around me to know that if they feel called to ministry or they feel called to some kind of profession even, or they feel called, they feel God calling them to do something that they don't have to put that on hold until all the kids are grown up. That's you know, funny. I really believe you can have a ministry while you're raising littles. And, and, you know, you and I have talked about this, Jackie. Like, that's hard. It's hard to do the things while raising the littles, um, but it, it can be done. You can go to seminary while you're pregnant and throwing up on your drive in to Chicago for your exams. That's my story. And there you, know, done you can that. have solid, <laughs> I know, right? You can have a solid family relationship and raise your kids well, while also being a paid minister at your local church. You know, I think some women shrink back because they think their only job can be taking care of the kids during these years. I think other women truly see raising their kids as their ministry. And I never want to dismiss that either. So I always try to balance, you know what I'm saying? Like you don't have to be in an official ministry setting. And I, I don't think women have to fit this kind of cookie cutter mold. I feel like we're shifting now we're shifting from one cookie cutter mold where like the woman takes care of the children and the home and all of those things and does like the women's Bible studies and all the, you know, children's ministries. And now we're shifting to, oh, you know, women can work, women can be pastors, women can do these other things, but women don't have to.
0: That's right. We can choose according to what we feel called to do, whether that's staying home with our children, if we have the means to do that. Or it can also be doing something when you have your children. I mean, I had my, I had, I gave birth to Madison and went to seminary the next week and I just took her with me, sat in the back, nursed him. I don't yeah. think they knew what to do with a woman nursing a kid in the back of the room. But to be honest oh, with man, you, I, feel you. I, I, to be honest, having, going to seminary while I had little children saved me because I needed some mental stimulation and that was the only thing that I got. That was the only time I got it rather than all the other days that I was home with these little ones in this tiny little apartment. And so in many ways, yep. it wasn't a burden. It was actually a blessing that helped helped me through those young mothering years um, when I was also at home, you know? So yeah, we can, and I was with somebody yesterday, maybe, no, it was yesterday. Forgive me. I'm losing my mind, but She's a stay-at-home oh, mom with four kids, and I could see that when she was sitting with us in a group, there were three of us women, and two of us work outside the home, and, you know, have ministries, and blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. And I could see she was mm-hmm. shrinking back because her love is to be home with her kids and to create this home. And I, and I turned to her, and I said, don't shrink back on that. That is an option of what it looks like to be a woman who chases after Jesus, like, yeah. you're not the example either, right? Cammie's not the only example. All of it is, right. is an option. And that I hear you saying that. So, um, yeah, and I, I feel like, no, you go. I was going to say, I
1: feel like every every individual is so, uh, what's the word I want to use? Every individual is so precious in what they've been given, you know, to, to be in this world. And the things that God has given each individual person, the way that he's called us to live our lives, I feel like that's that's ours to own, you know, and we have a unique opportunity, each one of us, to reflect God's character and to bring his kingdom to this earth in a special way. And I think that
0: for each woman, that can and should look different. Absolutely. It's called stewardship, right? She's to steward everything that she is. Mm -hmm. And it is, of course, going to look totally different for every single woman and we as believers need to give women the freedom for that and and be women that actually cheer each other on in the differences in that rather than compete and compare but that's a whole other podcast so i met you i met you when you came to i i teach this um course called she can teach which is training women how to teach the word effectively and you came to observe one of the trainings that i was doing in indiana and share with our audience why you thought it was important to come observe that particular training. Like, you, you're you very busy, so to give time out to come and sit yes. and observe, why? What was the motivator?
1: Well, there were several motivators. Um, so our mutual friend, Katie Carl, has been telling me about you for a long time. And when you did, I think it was your second training with her church, Yes, yep. she invited me to come observe. I mean, she just kept saying, Kimmy, you have to meet Jackie. You, I just feel like you have to meet Jackie, um, and I'm so grateful so grateful that she made that connection for, for me. Um, so, so really the first reason I came was totally self-focused. I have spent most of my academic life and career without strong female role models. Almost all of my professors have been men and, and these men have trained me so well and they have, I mean, I am indebted to them. They, they've been amazing. And But the few female profs that I have had, they've either not had children or, or we just like brush shoulders, you know, they, they're not really interested in like investing outside of the classroom. So there's some interaction and, and at least I'm seeing like a woman doing it, but there's not a lot of, you know, I didn't really get any investment from like the one or two female professors I've had in the, you know, like three or four degrees that I've earned. So I, I was really anxious to meet someone like you to connect with you. You're, you were married, you had kids while getting your doctorate. I mean, I just thought, this this is what I need. I need to talk to someone like that. And that's actually why I came back to work at Bethel, uh, my, the university where I teach because I had no women to look up to mm-hmm. back then as an undergrad. I had all these amazing men, you know, and 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 again, their leadership, their kindness, their instruction, their encouragement was in, invaluable to me, but I I just needed a woman, you know? Like I just needed to look at a woman. I needed someone to to tell me when you're getting your PhD and You're trying to study for exams, but your kids are on top of you. And also you're pregnant. Like, what do you do? (laughs) Like when you're, when you're vomiting before you walk into that exam room, like, how did you manage that? (laughs) You know, and like my male, my male colleagues and professors just didn't, they didn't have any answers for me just because they haven't lived those experiences. And so I wanted to be that for my students. I wanted to be that face, that presence that was missing during that formative time in my life. And besides you, Jackie, I only have two other women in my life who have done what what we're doing. Um, one is a dear friend, um, and she got her doctorate in education, and she had little kids, and she just let me walk alongside her, and it was just so helpful, and she's still such a dear friend to me. And the other woman is the woman I met in theology, just like you, um, in a time when I was honestly desperately searching for someone who I could talk to just for those conversations like... I am trying to manage being a wife, being a mother, being a professional professor, being a student, and I, I don't know how to do this. Yeah. And and I reached out I reached out to one of my it, it was so it was a specific time. It was that time I keep referencing it was very formative, I guess, uh, when I was pregnant and just sick I was just sick this entire pregnancy and I was trying to study for my comprehensive exams and I had two language exams I was studying for in the middle of my PhD program and I just remember talking to a colleague of mine about it and saying, Hey, you know, I really appreciate your stories about getting your PhD, but you're a dude like, you know, I just, I, (laughs) is there anyone, anyone, any woman that you know that you can connect with? It was like a Hail Mary, you know, and he was like, okay, I did meet this one woman one time and it was years and years ago and he just like shot her off an email and she responded and we got connected, um, and it was a total saving moment for me. And that, that same year, I think it was after I gave birth, So is when I met you. And it was like, I felt like I could breathe, you know. So I I was interested in your program for sure. And obviously, I still am. We keep talking about it. And I want to get you to Bethel so badly to meet with our girls. But first and foremost, I came for myself,
0: you know. So let me, let me pause there because what you're talking about I is something do. I have experienced so much myself like I, I went to Dallas Seminary and I had male professors
1: profound
0: yeah. like changed my life in how I understood scripture such men of integrity mm-hmm. But I didn't have any model of a woman who was doing what I was doing, which was two, even two married people in ministry, right? Like husband and wife running. We're right. both, by the way, yeah. both my husband and I are eights. So yeah, you ought to see that marriage. Really? But, <laughs> I knew you were an eight. It's on fire. <laughs> let me just say, we are fire. Oh my God. So, you know, that both of energetic. us. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> in fact, I had a very good friend one time. She's become a very good friend. But one time she said to me, I asked her for dinner. I said, would you and your husband be willing to come for dinner? And she looked at me very, very nicely and just said, I I don't think we can do that. I don't think we can handle you (laughs) and Steve in the same room. Total seriousness, she didn't come. (laughs) (laughs) I can't come and sit between you and Steve. So, but I didn't have, I had no role model of what it looked like to do this as kids to, with kids to be married and to be married to someone who was running as fast, as hard as you were, you know? And I remember they invited at seminary, they invited Jill Briscoe to speak at chapel which was a major no-no for a lot of people. And I was, you know, I went, it was the first time I'd ever seen a woman open the Bible in front of people Mm -hmm. and people left this, you know, the men, several men, many men actually walked out of chapel because a woman shouldn't be there. Mm -hmm. And I'm sitting there going, Mm -hmm. why are people walking out? Of course, I don't know what's happening because I'm not aware of that debate at this point. She opens up the Bible and she starts preaching. Of course, they wouldn't call it that at that time, but man, she could preach. And she said Mm -hmm. something about, um, hey, she, she shared an illustration about when she was studying God's word and teaching and her kids were little and she had four, I think, and, and how she'd have to get inside the playpen to be able to like keep them away from her so that she could have time with God. And then she said, you know, David uh, ran a nation and he didn't get to make the excuse if I'm really busy raising my kids, I don't have time for you, Jesus, you know? And so she was mm-hmm. like, so yeah. she got, and I started to weep like right there. And I'm not a big crier because there was something profound to me, freedom for me to listen to a female. I didn't even know how important it was to hear the scripture said in female tones in a female body, sharing female experiences. She was giving me answers about how to study while having three little children climb all over me in my little apartment. Right. And, and a man never could have yeah. done that. He didn't get inside the playpen. She did, you know. Right. So I get what you're yeah. saying. And she saved me. I mean, there were multiple times I would call her and I'd say, Jill, what, my husband and I are both running really hard. Everybody around me is telling us to slow down, that somebody's paying the price. Certainly we can't be having a good marriage and our children must be totally whack jobs. And what would you say to me? How, how did you do this with your husband? And she'd say, I say, we're in the middle of a, the end of a football game. And she meant soccer because she's English. And she said, and I would Ah, say, and and the goal is, and and the score is tied and you better run as hard and fast as you can to make the winning goal. Mm. No one said that to me except this woman who had been ahead of me in this pathway. So I totally get what you're saying. So, um, yeah, so we want to hear, (laughs) let's, let's move to, uh, my teaching, right? I teach these women, um, to speak and interesting after the, the, The seminar was over, you and I chatted, and you commented to me at how much of the time, here I am teaching a preaching course, the art of homiletics, right, skills on how to put together a a biblical sermon, and you commented at how much of my teaching time was given to encouraging women to show up in their bodies and to use their voice. And so I explained to you um, something that maybe our audience doesn't know, and that is that women... Really tend to shrink back, particularly when it comes to uh, beholding um, positions or or platforms that are considered authoritative. <laughs> and so, what I had learned over the years is that when uh, when I meet when I do these seminars, I spend the whole weekend with the women, and I usually try to have dinner first. And so I get to know the women. And so I can see how they move in their bodies and I can see how their voices are used and all that. And then we spend a whole month together online working through this, putting together a sermon. And then they come back a month later and they have to stand in front of the class and preach the sermon. And inevitably, and I've done this for a decade plus, the same thing happens. I literally watch women physically shrink back in their bodies. They try to get smaller. And their voices, it either gets really quiet, like really quiet, or they do this Sunday school teacher voice. You know what I mean? Now, children, you know, and I'm like, whoa, where did mm-hmm. you go? Where did you go? Yeah. Right? So I have to like fight. I literally feel like I'm fighting to ask them to come back and inhabit their bodies and to use their voice. Not some fake voice, not some modified voice that the world can handle, But the very voice that they were sitting at the table with me the very first night we met, right? And what I've Mm. learned over time is, again, studies have shown over and over again that when women encounter positions that exercise power or authority, they tend to become quiet. And for the evangelical community, the most powerful and authoritative position is preaching. It's the holy of holies. Mm -hmm. If you want to know what the holy grail is in in evangelicalism, it's that pulpit. (laughs) We think it should be Jesus, but I'm telling you, it's that pulpit. (laughs) (laughs) And so because of that, women, they freak out and I watch them, they hold back. And I Mm -hmm. have that, I have had that ability to watch this when it came to training women to to teach both physically and verbally. But I know that that doesn't just happen in my line of work. And so have you, you, you teach young women, you also teach young men at a college what do you mm-hmm. see in young college-age women? Do you see the same occurrence? Yeah, I do. Definitely in some settings more than others.
1: I think, so one one place I see this is, you know, I have lots of young women who sit in my office and we talk about the struggles that they're experiencing in their ministry settings, whether it's, you know, they're volunteering because they're college-age kids, and that's, I feel like that's what college-age kids do, you know, or they're doing internships or they have jobs at churches, you know, walking through that, the struggles that they have, whether it's external, like they aren't allowed to teach or preach, or it's internal. I think there's a lot of internal struggle in this yes. area where they yes. just they feel inferior to everyone around them, and and usually the people around them in a ministry setting are men. But there's just this. I just I hear this over and over. These women who sit in my chair and they tell me that they don't feel competent. They don't, and I'm looking at these confident, intelligent women you know, who are just struggling with feeling like they are inferior, that they have a place. You know, another way I see this is that women who will enter our university's program and they start in like children's ministry or they start in youth ministry. And throughout the course of the program, I'll watch as they they sort of latch on to, you know, they get passionate about something or they start really diving into certain classes. And then eventually they'll change their major to had several women change to pastoral ministry or even biblical studies, which is my area that I get really super excited about. They love biblical studies and I would love to have more women in this field. And and I watch them sort of realize it's it's almost as if and, and I'm assuming a little bit here, but it's almost as if they enter the program thinking these are the acceptable spaces for me. I, mm-hmm. I feel called mm-hmm. to ministry. So I'm gonna go into children's ministry because I'm a woman or I feel called to ministry. So youth ministry is for me, but then once they start taking those classes and they start, you know, maybe taking some Bible classes or some pastoral ministry classes, or everyone has to take homiletics in our program, which I think is amazing, um, and our homiletics professor is awesome, you know, I think they take that class and it's, something comes alive in them, and, and it's like, I could do something else. Like, like maybe youth ministry wasn't the thing. Like maybe I'm called to something else. And watching that transition in those girls is, is so life-giving. Yeah, and you know, just like to watch them sort of shed those preconceived notions and like step
0: into who they feel called to be. Their full potential. I see the same thing when I train women to preach. I see the exact same thing. Once they yeah. once they get through it, it's like they have traversed <clears throat> the summit of a mountain. And and that achievement, mm. that ability for them to see, wait a minute, I didn't even know. And again, I've always had to work with their confidence. Do you have the biblical right to do this? All of that has to be dealt with. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Once they traverse, that, right? Yeah, you're the groundwork stuff. So. Yeah, that then they then all of a sudden that oh, that confidence starts to overflow into all other areas of their life, and and I've seen them go from. I'm not even sure I – I have this one woman. I'm not even sure I can take her. She can teach mm-hmm. class because she's a neo-Nazi feminist is what she thought. She was very afraid oh. that I was going to take yeah. her way over to the left side of the world. And, oh, um, sure, sure. So she ended up taking the course. Then she ended up, like, co-teaching at her ch- – co-preaching at her church because maybe it was okay. And then she ended up going to seminary, and now she's being um, – Uh, She's applying for a senior pastor position. And you see that that and you go, right? But this is what we're experiencing. It's like when women, when we give women a platform, an ability or a taste, a taste of the potential to find who they are and use their voice, that just transcends into other areas, not just their work life, right? But Right, yes. I should probably go back to our audience and remind us, since this is a a series on how do we help women find our voices, that when we are talking about voices, we're not just talking about tone or projection, et cetera, et cetera, what it sounds like. We're, We're actually talking about, um, developing, uh, and cultivating thoughts, our interior life, and then putting words to it into the outer world. Um, voice is actually this interchange of listening and speaking led to knowing both of ourself and others. Voice is actually a way we move into knownness and community. Um, another definition is like the oral expression of what is deep in your soul and what is important to you. To believe in your own voice, to have, to, uh, to You have to believe in your identity and your own experience and believe that it deserves to be spoken out loud, that it needs to be heard Mm -hmm. and it needs to be heard by others. So, you know, we talked about some of the internal things, which we're going to come back to this idea of confidence, because I think that's huge and we've really got to tackle it. But there's some external barriers that we have um, in our culture too. Like I've been reading this huge book called The Journey of Embodiment on the Intersectionality of Body and Culture. And I'm sure most people are not going to Ooh. care to read it. Yes, it's got a very long title. You know? <laughs> well, That's really interesting. Yeah. <laughs> and this woman is basically studying um, uh, 200 women over the course of their lifetime and watching mm-hmm. how she she goes through these stages of, of development and how does she inhabit or not inhabit her body and use her voice or lose her mm-hmm. voice. And, and she goes on to say that as girls hit like teens level. We They are hit in the cultural world, in the culture, not in the church. But women are, are taught this woman as submissive demure idea. This, um, this idea that women are to act meekly and nice and not to be too vocal or too loud or too mm-hmm. dominant, too assertive, too needy, or simply too much. That's her quote. Sure. And so there's this socialization culturally um, for women <laughs> when we hit a certain age to pull back. And then we have external influences, you and I do, the Christian faith, um, where scripture yeah. is used to hold women back in yeah. their voices. First Peter 3 is one example, First Timothy 2, 1 Corinthians 14. Mm-hmm. And throughout history for a very, very long time, these passages and others have been interpreted in ways that tell women to be silent. I mean, literally, don't speak. And so, mm-hmm. I'm. I used to be at the church that I used to work at. About a decade before I got there, they didn't let women speak at the bus- the annual business meeting because of those verses. Um, so you mm-hmm. could be the CFO of a multi million dollar company, but at the business meeting, you probably mm-hmm. really can't speak into anything. And we have theologians. I mean, influential theologians out there who who use this kind of, um, definition of a woman. And if you listen to his definition of what it means to be God designed woman, um, consider how this impacts, how we talk, what we think, and whether we bring our voice or live in our yeah. life, how we live in our bodies. And this is what he says. Women are designed God designed by the way, to be compassionate, warm, polite, supportive, sensitive, obedient, sweet, charming, Delight, delicate, delicate. I don't know how that gets in there. Quiet and submissive. Yeah. for those of us who are eights, nothing in that fits me. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I'm like, oh no, <laughs> right. Uh, polite, charming, <laughs> delicate, um, and I've I've seen you know these types of 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 scholars interpret these passages in ways that say women can't bre- preach. Literally, for those of you listening, and I know you may be shocked, but they've been used to tell people not to question their husband's decisions, to not speak at a church meeting. Um, If you do speak, do not speak in an assertive, confident tone. I even have a friend Mm -hmm. who went to the seminary that I went to, and she would raise her hand to answer a question or to ask a question, and he literally would not call on her. And he told her, you need to go home and ask your husband. And she wasn't married. (laughs) Oh, (laughs) so I'm going to be, by the way, for those of you listening, you're going, yeah, but what do we do with those passages? I'm so glad you asked. Mm. I'm going to be throwing some of the those passages that we've been taught in the church about how to speak um onto the facebook group jackie always unplugged and i'm going to ask you as listeners if you're interested in how they can be interpreted in ways in which we get invited to speak and that they are not necessarily keeping us quiet i would absolutely ask you to go check that out and also while i'm ask it, asking would you be willing out there to go ahead um, you listeners and subscribe to this podcast that would be super super helpful for me So let me go back to your faith community, our faith community. How do you think it has informed or has formed the female voice? What have you seen? Mm,
1: I think so much of it is subtle. You know, this is something I've really been thinking about a lot um, recently. And I I think sometimes it is, it's overt, but in my experience, most of the the structural framework is innate. It's just, it's a part of. The whole system, you know, I think we don't even recognize where it comes from, or sometimes it's there because it's just so ingrained in us, you know, in and, and not just in our faith communities, but in all of society. Like you were mentioning from uh, the research in that book, you know, this is a societal thing that seems to be. We seem to have evidence of this in societal structures themselves. I think um, there are impressions, there are like unspoken expectations sometimes it's herd mentality, meaning like, I don't see any other women going to seminary. So that's not an option for me either. Or I see all these other women leading Bible studies and staying at home with their kids. So that's probably what I should do. You know, like it's not, and I'm not consciously thinking that, but I'm just doing it. Like I'm just, you know, internalizing my environment and then sort of, you know, going along with the herd. You know, if you're a woman in your twenties or older and you're not married, you know, it's the most asked question, like, when will you get married? Or even worse, like, don't you want to get married as if it were that simple? Like I want to get married. So I will, you know, there's it'll happen. A, you know, like, yeah. Like I'll just snap my fingers and Prince Charming will show up, you know? And, and even that sort of language, like the Prince Charming, like rescuing sort of language. I just feel like there are so many subtle things, you know? Um, and even then once you're married, you know, all the questions about kids, like, when are you going to have kids? And, and I, I feel like when I got married, People were asking me that question. You know, I, I don't remember like when my husband and I were together, because obviously I don't know if people are asking him really when we're apart, but I just, you know, if people are looking at me, when are you going to have children? You know,
0: right. that isn't a question um, they're asking it, it's the man. Subtle,
1: and I don't think it's intentional. Right. You know, I, I don't think people are like intentionally doing, it. I think it's just ingrained in us. Yeah. So, yeah and I, I think even, well, I, even there for, in my life too, just there are these concerned voices concerned voices about my children you right. know and um then you know how how are you raising your children well while you're getting a PhD and you're working and, and you're homeschooling them are are they even really being homeschooled like how can you possibly do that and you know my response is I have a co-parent <laughs> right there are I, have, two a, of I us. have a partner in life and he there's and we do it together and you know what I'm terrible at math and my husband is like a genius at math and so I don't teach the kids math. <laughs> that, that won't go well, you know? So we, we partner in this thing together, and, and that's how we're raising our kids well, you know? It, but isn't I mean, it even interesting that you so, have anyway, to explain
0: I, so, it, right? That you even have to explain that to someone. Yes. But I've had to do that, too. When I would travel and I'd speak somewhere, one woman emailed me and told me she was not coming to the conference I was teaching at because I had children at home, and I, I should not be oh. leaving my children at home and going to teach a conference on the weekend, and I went... I, I, I was very nice and whatever, but I did say, you know, I'm not leaving them home alone. First of all, they were teenagers. They weren't even little kids. And I was like, yeah, you know, there's another parent in my house, a very mm-hmm. capable parent called Steve and he's yes. with them, you know? Um, and and mm-hmm. I think people, but the fact yeah. that I even had to explain that to someone, right? There's this critique. Oh yeah. I've had, yes,
1: I've had a similar experience. And okay. Just okay. move
0: you to the idea of role sure. models. We've talked about role models and the idea mm. that, You know, I spend a lot of time actually thinking through what, where do I want to place myself so people can see? I even think about how I'm going to dress and what I want to say. I I mean, they're messages I'm trying to give Mm -hmm. to women and all of them are freedom, right? Like we're going to move into freedom and even how you dress. And so as a role model, I think about all of those things. Um, And I know that you're a role model on your college campus too. So what do you think, what, what are you hoping that particularly female students will take away from you as far as pertaining to learning how to live in their own voice?
1: Well, um, first and foremost, I hope that they will see that they can do it. I hope that they will see that someone else is doing it and that will just open the door of possibilities. Not that their life has to be exactly like mine, not that they have to, you know, go to graduate school and and then, you know, get a PhD and, and become a professor, but that the horizon is, is open, you know, that they will just see that there's a woman who is living imperfectly, um, but is doing the thing that God called her to do. And, and I'm, I'm not sacrificing the things that are important to me.
0: Right.
1: You know, that's one of the things I talk to my girls about a lot is that you have to make sacrifices. If you're going to be, if you're going to work, if you're going to be in ministry, if you're going to go to graduate school, you have to make sacrifices. But you don't have to sacrifice the important thing. Right. And that's you know? even and true I if you choose to this, stay
0: home. That's a sacrifice.
1: Yes. Yes, it is. It is. So I think in my life, the things that I've sacrificed is a clean house. Right. You know, that's one of the things my friend, Christy, who got her doctorate in education, she used to say to me, um, when you come over, like, just know, like, I'm, I'm doing all these things. And I, I just want you to know that my house looks like this because I value time with my family and my children investing in them more than I value my kitchen being clean. That's beautiful. And honestly, her house, I mean, wasn't that, you know, wasn't that messy, but like now that I'm a parent and I'm looking at my own house, her house probably looks like mine and I feel like my house is a dump, (laughs) you
0: know? And it doesn't matter. So I
1: understand now. (laughs) No, it doesn't. And that, those words that she spoke to me changed me, you know, and I realized all I have to do is hold on to the things that are important. Right. That's beautiful. All I have to do is invest in my children and invest in my husband and invest in a few close friends, you know, and. And I can still work. I can still do the thing that brings me alive, you know, right. which is teaching the Bible and leading people to a closer understanding of these biblical texts. Um, so, my hope is that my students will just see there are possibilities, not that it's the one possibility, but just that there are possibilities and that they can be led.
0: Yeah. That's beautiful. And I want to remind our listeners, the reason we're talking about role models here is because one of the ways women and men find their voice is by seeing others inhabiting their bodies and using their Mm -hmm. voice, right? In a lot of different arenas. And there are women out there listening right now. And I want to say to you, pay attention. Mm -hmm. You are a role model for someone else. And that doesn't mean perfection, Mm -hmm that means freedom. That means showing them possibilities. That means providing platforms for them to inhabit their voice and use their voice and find themselves there and then see the possibilities they can have in themselves, right? So just know that many of you women out there and men are those models providing ways for people to come alive, if you will, to, to come to the full potential in which God has placed in them. I I think along with female role models, I think it's crucial that men see women inhabit their bodies um, fully, like own it, you know, and then own their voice. And I remember Mm -hmm. when I started preaching from the pulpit, which was a big fiasco for everybody in Dallas, but... And it took a, about a year but this older man came up to me one after one Sunday morning preaching and he said I have to tell you I was not very happy about a woman preaching and I'm always holding my breath to think okay what's coming you know but he said but I've <laughs> but I've decided it's a good thing he goes cuz I can't figure it out but the spirit keeps teaching me things through you mm. and so it made me realize not only is it really important for women to see me own my body and my voice, it was really important <laughs> for men to see that too. So what difference do you think it makes for men to see women have agency through their voice and their body?
1: Yeah, you know, I'm I'm with you. I did not recognize the importance of that at first. And I think because of my own experience of just not having female role models, I was just so focused on being that role model for the women in our department that I I didn't really see how my presence could impact the men in our department. And um, I'll I'll never forget a colleague of mine uh, who I teach with at Bethel was talking about several of his uh, male philosophy students and how these young men were really enjoying my Old Testament class. And he said, I think it's so important for them to learn from you, Cammie, to see you in this position of authority and to recognize it as right and good. And, Honestly like it was such it was just this conversation we had in the hallway you know in the department in passing and I'm sure he doesn't even remember and it shook me I just remember thinking this man who I respect is telling me that he's glad that his male students are learning from me and like and I it just opened my eyes to the fact that there is and, and you say this Jackie I feel like I read this in your book you say um that we're like missing half of the uh, half of the picture
0: or like it's if, if we're only hearing from men what do you say it's so good i'm not well half the I'm half not, the church is sidelined right we're sitting on the bench yes, half of us yes. are sidelined and therefore we're only yes, getting one perspective it's an unhealthy perspective half of us are sitting yes. out of life's living and moving and bringing forth god's flourishing half of us yes thank you that's and that and i feel like com- that experience combined with your words and i just have begun
1: to realize it is it is important for men to hear the bible through the female voice through women's experiences. Um, and because I think there's a lot of value that every human being can bring and we just haven't heard from women really, you know, because they haven't been invited into those spaces, um, until recent years. And so I think the
0: value in hearing the Bible from another perspective is, is so, so good. Yeah, it's huge. I mean, I remember, um, you know, one of the things that Augustine said, who, by the way, for those of you out there listening, Augustine was one of our church fathers who actually helped develop our thinking on, on the Trinity. And he 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 said um, this, that man's mind is more naturally inclined to comp- contemplate higher things, whereas women's heads are filled with thoughts of lower things. And that actually has been kind of the, the standard thought about men and women, even today, that and even particularly in the church, but that the heavier, weightier things that we think about or that we do have to be left to men, a doctrine, uh, Bible theology, all of that has to, you know, that really needs to be stuck over mm-hmm. there with the men because they think on a higher level mm-hmm. and women don't. And we yeah. don't, th- you know, and I experienced, I, no one would say that because they'd be shot for saying that. But the truth sure. is, it actually lives, it's an implicit bias in us. And I experienced that when I was in, um when I became part of the preaching team, which was all male on our church staff and me, Um, and, you know, we would get together and dialogue about what, what passages and what, what Bible we were, what part of the Bible we were going to teach the next Sunday or whatever. And we would talk about what, what we thought we saw in there and what, what God was saying and blah, blah, blah. And I, every once in a while i'd go i don't think that's what that passage is saying at all and you could see the look on people's faces like yeah are, are we okay with her thinking a different way about her theology and perhaps even her her thinking is better <laughs> it was just and, and these are men who yeah. loved me and you know and i could see it on their yes. face and they had to mm-hmm. catch themselves with like okay no, we can, we can let her say that. We can let her have thoughts that, are, that challenge ours and perhaps even have to shift to what she's saying. And so I, I think it is crucial that men um, hear women, particularly when it comes to engaging in teaching the Bible. Um, so I, I wonder, have you ever seen men um, embolden women to speak? Uh, and what can men do to be more proactive, inviting women? into inviting, into inviting women's voices to the table? Cause you work with a lot of men. It sounds like they've created yes. some space for you.
1: Oh, I, yes, I feel so grateful for my situation and my colleagues in the religion and philosophy department at Bethel are, they are just honestly excellent examples of how to do this. When I'm with them, I never feel like my voice is dismissed. Um, and even though right now I'm technically, only an adjunct so I'm carrying a full-time load but I'm I really am only an adjunct at the university they regularly invite me to the table they invite me to every faculty meeting to other kinds of random meetings to events they include me in emails and decisions that impact like our bible part of the department um which you know just to be invited is regularly is such is, is such a difference you know like there's I, you know in the churches that I worked in I wasn't invited you know right. um, in in certain cases but um, but the on top of it so they invite me but I don't regularly come because I'm working on my phd I'm carrying a full professional load and I have four children that I'm homeschooling at home with my husband and so I don't regularly come they never make me feel badly about that and they never stop inviting me and you know how important that is for the mom who just like can't show up Right. you At know, the because of your, your life. And you then the people later. eventually, yes, yes. But then the people stop, people eventually stop asking you, you uh-huh. know, but they continue to invite me, which means the world to me. And it's a reminder that they value my presence, that they value my input and that my role as a mother and a wife and a student doesn't detract from my professional role as a professor and a colleague. Like it really helps me live in that tension, you know? And so that I, that's just one of you know, many things, but, and I love that you said done, that, because, but I also
0: go ahead. Cause I, I want to say there are men out there listening to this podcast. They respond, they actually email me and text me and tell me, Hey, da, da da and so I want them to be thinking about if you are in a position, um, where you have women <laughs> working underneath you, what, what can you do? And this is one thing you're saying, particularly about women in your life stage, right? Don't stop inviting yes. me just because yes. I'm too busy at this point. Keep fighting for yeah. my voice to be heard.
1: Yes. And I think that's one thing that they do is that they always also go to bat for me. And they're oftentimes talking about me when I don't realize they're talking about me to other students or to other faculty members. I hear these things and, you know, students will say, oh, such and such in the department said this about you. And that's why I'm taking your class. You know, I feel like they lift me up and and I feel undeserving of it, but. I just the environment that they have created, and some of these men were my professors as an undergrad. Not all of them, but there were a few of them who were my professors as an undergrad. And so, even that transition of like from student to now colleague, they never make me feel less. And I feel as if they take the opportunities to lift women's voices up when they can, not just mine, um, but also our students. And I I really appreciate the way that they attend um, to that in in our department, particularly.
0: So kudos, and and one
1: of the things you know, in I want to say kudos to that university. Yes, right. Yes,
0: yay, brothers, Um, keep going. Go ahead.
1: Yes, I mean it's it's such the department at Bethel is such a special place. I always say that, and you know, I think sometimes there's a tendency to wear rose-colored glasses, but I'm listening to my peers and my colleagues from from outside of Bethel, like women I work with in my PhD program, or I'm like connected with because of other like universities that I you know am just involved with. And their situations
0: are, it, it, sound, it sounds like a nightmare.
1: Right. You're actually, you know? and you're an think, exception
0: to the rule. This is not what you're yes, experiencing I, is an exception to the rule.
1: And I feel like even in lifting up women's voices, which is something that I claim to want to do, I feel like the men in my department have even helped me, like, or taught me in, you know, ways that we can do that.
0: That's awesome. That's awesome. Okay, we've only yeah. got a few more minutes, and I want to go back to this confidence okay. issue. Um, there, uh, There's a book that Kay and... Kay and Shipman wrote this book called The Confidence Code, and I'll post that on the Facebook group, but it's, it's basically, um, they have done this research and come to find that confidence is as important as competency when it become when it comes to success Mm -hmm. in the workplace. And I would even say in relationships. So confidence is as important as competency. And they write about this study that Hewitt Packard did to figure out how to get more women into top management positions. And they found that women working at Hewitt Packard applied for promotions only when they could meet a hundred percent of the qualifications necessary for the job. Whereas men were happy to apply when they thought they hit, you know, like 60% of the job requirements. So essentially, women feel less confident only when they are, uh, women feel confident only when they are practically perfect. Mm -hmm. Underqualified and underprepared men don't think twice about leaning in. And they say overqualified and overprepared, too many women still hold back even when they have plenty of ambition and funda- they fundamentally no. doubt themselves. And I have read study after study after study that, s- that say this exact same thing, that even when women are equal in their education, in their resources, etc., women tend to hold back. They literally, study after study show that they actually speak less. I mean, literally, we're talking about speaking less. When, especially mm-hmm. when men are present. And so mm-hmm. I want to just end on this question, which is how can we help women be more confident, um, confidence, not for confidence sake, right? We're like, we're not just trying to be badasses here. It's actually so that we can sure. use our voice that God gave us to live and move in this world as his representative representatives. So what are your, some thoughts? How, how would you help women gain confidence to okay. live in their body and use their voice?
1: You know, I think if you'd asked me this question several years ago, I would have said like just, just like fuck up and like just, just do it, like speak up, and you know, sort of like a rallying cry, which I think works for some women, but but not for all women. And so, I think what I would say today is not a general sort of like here's what every woman can do, but rather I think women have to know themselves, right? Like I think they have to know who they are, and um, and be confident in that person because who they are is good and and enough and who they are belongs and I think they need to find the spaces where they can belong and then they need to take steps in those spaces specifically that might be speaking up in your bible study that might be um uh, applying for seminary that might be approaching your pastor and saying hey I want to start this initiative or I want to start this program or you know I feel like that could be different for every woman the way that she uses her voice yeah you know, That's but good. to know, to know what her voice is and, and to latch onto that and then to take, you know, sometimes it just, you just got to take the small steps. You just have to keep moving forward. And then, you know, if you test the water and, and it's like, okay, I, I can do this. Sometimes we need to test the water a little bit. And some women you just dive right in, and I think for, for a woman who's like that kind of personality, then just do it. You know, right, you've been right. thinking about it, you've been waiting, just, just do it. Just say, say the thing, ask the question, you know, um, so I, I feel like there are, like for each individual, there's going to be a different way that they're going to sort of rally around their own confidence.
0: Yeah. Yeah. So I want to say, you know, cause this is an area I've done quite a bit of work on. And so for those of you out there listening, I developed a course called I'm Enough, learning how to live confidently in our own skin. And then I even wrote a book for it because I, I, I think this is crucially important. Um, I'll put that on Facebook too, so that you can find it if it, you're interested but so I want to point out just a couple of things that I've learned and, and then we'll kind of close out. But that I think it's really crucial that we help women understand the, the gender norms in which they live and move. Um, that, that because mm-hmm. there's these implicit things about their voice that they're told and they're not even aware right? So we need to help them understand the the gender bias against them living in their body, fully in their voice so that they can then be aware when they come up against those messages. I think we have to, and this goes to what you were just saying. I think we have to help women and men, but women understand their image bearers and what that concept really means Mm -hmm. and how they are uniquely created. You know, We're back to Ephesians 2.10, masterpiece. So yes, you're an image bearer, which has all kinds of huge confidence anchoring implications, but also you're not just one of many, you're unique and we need that uniqueness. In fact, it's it's um, it's um defacing God's image when we don't embrace our full unique voice, right? And then the thing is, yeah. the other thing is that I've come to see is that if you cross the gender norms using your voice and your body and all that that means, there's a good chance that you're going to get spanked for it. Um, we have identity markers that we want to live by. Our church has identity markers that we want—they want women to live by. And if you're too, you know, too assertive, too much, it, ask, you know, push. Um, if that's who you are, right? The eight challenger, you can—you can pretty much guarantee you will have some pushback. And so, what I think that means is those of us who are further down the path have to be each other's cheerleader, like looking back and going, you can do this, stay in the game. I know that was painful that you lost because of that, or somebody held you back because of that, or you, you know, somebody didn't approve of you because of that. You can keep going. And then the other thing, the final thing, and this is not by any means, but we need to hear the stories of women in the scriptures. We need to have the scriptures taught to us in a way that we can actually see that God has always given women a voice, and he expects her to steward that. So I think hearing stories about women in scripture who are using their voice, um, and then just even Jesus, because Jesus is really good news for women. So that's just a few things. I want to thank you, Cammie, for taking time with us. Like, uh, like our audience has now heard, you have a ton of kids, you're homeschooling, you're working on your PhD, PhD and you're teaching, and you gave us this time this morning. So thank you, thank you, thank you. So I want to thank Cammie for taking the time to be with us. And you can follow her on Instagram at Cammie Brewbaker. And you can also find her on Bethel University, Indiana's website and feel free to connect up with her if you have further questions or thoughts that you might wanna dialogue with her about. Speaking of which, I'd also like to hear that. If you have a question about something that was talked about today or further insight, feel free to post it on our Facebook group page. I mean, I would love to dialogue with you more. If you don't wanna write it out, you could also leave me a message at 214-790-7939. And while we're at it, would you go on over and subscribe? That would be really helpful. Subscribe to Jackie Always Unplugged podcast. I appreciate you guys out there listening. And so I wanna end today with a blessing. May the Lord bless you and keep you. And the Lord's face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace today. Hey, if you've enjoyed this conversation, then hop on over to themarcellaproject.com and sign up for our email or check out some of our other resources. You can also find me on the Marcella Project Facebook page or on every other platform of social media as Jackie Reese, R-O-E-S-E. Have a great day.